the Lord. Thank you. Now, for a little bit of a, a, a time, we usually have a little less time for this on days we have the Lord's Supper, but let's get into the Word. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 18, please. Acts chapter 18, everybody. So we just looked at the first three verses last week and learned what we could from the example given to us in Scripture of Aquila and Priscilla as they come up in other places in Scripture. and They seem to be a couple that was very close to the Apostle Paul and very much worked in ministry with him. So we took a look at that and hopefully that was a blessing and an encouragement to you. Now, we'll pick up in verse 4, and I'm going to read through just like the first statement in verse 18, and that'll take us for today. First, let's now pray and ask the Lord to bless us and teach us as we read His Holy Word. Let us pray. Father, now we come to that time that we've set aside to study Your Word. We need Your Word. Like Brother Bob shared with the men yesterday, with meekness, we need to receive the implanted word. It's able to save our souls. Your word is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, mature, grown up, thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You equip your saints through the study preaching, teaching, receiving, and obeying of your word. And we ask for your help with that now. I know I intend to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. We call, Lord, upon the Holy Spirit to be at work in us, teaching us, filling us, leading us, that we who are saved may live lives walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, producing the fruit of of the Spirit. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 18. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. When they opposed, but when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. Praise God indeed. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. 
When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it's a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. All right? Now, so we're in Corinth. And as we unpack this scripture, you'll see that what I think is really the main point behind all of this comes right in the beginning of the passage. And everything else that's in this passage that follows it comes off of this very first introductory point. Let me just ask you a question before I delve into it. How many of you are aware of the fact that when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you believed that a very great interaction with God took place in that moment and God himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, came into you and took up residence in you? Are you aware of that? Well, if you're not aware of that, you're aware of that now. Certainly you are aware of that. How could anyone have been born again and not know that the Holy Spirit came into them, right? So we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And as you go through Scripture, you read lots of things, lots of things in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. And you read about how we ought to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and pray in the Spirit. And we ought to not quench the Spirit and not grieve the Spirit. Our life... Our walk as Christians in this world is not a walk that is driven by what's, what's hot in the news, what everyone's talking about, you know, what the latest political fad is. Our life here in this world as Christians is a life that is led by God who lives in us. God the Holy Spirit. And that's what you see right in the beginning of this whole passage. And it creates everything else that I read. So let's look at it. So Silas and Timothy, they, they, had, they had become separated when Paul had gone to Athens. And Silas and Timothy remained behind. And Paul sent to them to meet him. Paul goes on to Achaia and to Corinth. And then they meet him in Corinth. So the whole team, Silas, Timothy, Paul, and Luke, they're all back together now. All right, so they're in Corinth, and it says, here it is, ready? Paul was compelled by the Spirit. And not being a great scholar of Greek, but having learned to use the many wonderful tools that are available, I was compelled to take a look at that word, compelled. And what you see is that this idea of being compelled comes from a Greek word, that I probably will pronounce wrong, that is called suneko, which is a combination of two words that basically means to squeeze together, right? So the, I, the, the King James Version, the old King James Version, uses the word pressed, 
Okay, so the idea that he was compelled by the spirit is that the spirit just grabbed him, just laid hold of him inside, just squeezed him and just forced him, compelled him to do this thing. The spirit took control of Paul, right? That's the idea, to grab onto something and hold it tight. That's, That's what this word means. That's the word that's being used there. Paul was suneko by the spirit. He was compelled by the Spirit. And what did that compulsion in the Spirit cause him to do? Caused him to testify to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And of course, that's a very bold thing to do. We've seen Paul do it already as we've been reading through Acts. What is particularly impressive here is the the description of the Spirit's work in him to compel him to do that. But of course, you know, the, the, the idea of someone being the Messiah was something that was inseparable from the Jews and their life in the synagogue. And we know that the Jews had a major problem, at least the ones in Judea, and as the word spread seemingly everywhere, had a major problem to this day that persists in identifying Jesus as their Messiah chiefly because of what we just observed when we did this. Jesus died. And that's a big, we were talking about this with the men yesterday, that's a big problem in the Jewish mind among their religious leaders that their Messiah experienced death. That's not, even like the passage in Isaiah 53 that describes Christ's suffering to this day is denied by most Jews to have any reference to the Messiah, but is actually seen as a reference to the entire nation of Israel, right? And so it's just kind of pushed off to the side. Nobody encountered this more than Paul. Everywhere he went, including here, except, well, actually, even in Athens, he did start out in the synagogue. Everywhere he goes so far, the first place he goes when he comes into a city is right into the synagogue, And goes right into that audience, which is usually made up of Jews and Gentiles who believe in the God of Israel. You know, you men of Israel and you who fear God, right? So he goes in and he's in there and he begins to preach as he's pressed, just squeezed upon him by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to let him go until he comes and preaches and says these words. Now, before I go through the rest of this, it bears good usefulness to consider some of these things about the Holy Spirit. I think that we as Christians are not reading in this passage of Scripture something that is like a unique apostolic gift. There were gifts that were unique to the apostles, right? I mean, the Lord hasn't given me a gift to go down and lay hands on people and they just get healed or or speaking in tongues, or, or, or some of those things that I think were happening in the apostolic age as part of the apostolic ministry, right? But I don't think being filled with the Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit is something that's supposed to be unique to the apostles in the first century. Do you? Good. Well, one person doesn't. How about the rest of you? Do you? No, listen, we ought to all be, we're we're encouraged by the very same Paul in many of his writings to be filled by his spirit and be led by his spirit. So I, I I just made this quick list of things 
that deal with the Holy Spirit just to try to give you a snapshot. And this is just a small sliver of what the Scripture teaches, because I'm not even delving into the Old Testament here. Just, just what the New Testament teaches concerning the Holy Spirit and how He works in our lives from even before we're saved. Do you hear that? From even before we're saved. Because Jesus taught, first of all, that we are convicted by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's conviction that brings a sinner to repentance. Jesus said, when He has come, the Holy Spirit, He will convict, not the church. It doesn't say, He didn't say the church in John 16, 8. It says, He will convict the world, the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit even works in the people of the world to convict them of their sin, of God's righteousness, and of coming judgment. To, to, to open their hearts to the gospel, to bring them to repentance. And then there, is the, then there is the work of the Spirit in actually bringing a soul to salvation. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and He made you alive when you believed. And you were born of His Spirit. We sing that hymn, uh, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit. Washed in His blood. My story, my song. Praising Him all the day long. You were born of the Spirit. The Bible tells us that we are indwelt by His Spirit. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? That was an epistle that Paul wrote to Christians. In fact, he wrote it to the Christians who would eventually form the church at Corinth. Right? It was 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Jesus said, not, I'm sorry, not Jesus, John the Baptist said of Jesus, There comes one after me who is mightier than I whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At the moment that God opens your heart to understand and receive the gospel, at the moment that God draws you to Himself, at the moment that faith happens, you are born of the Spirit, you are indwelt by the Spirit, and you are baptized in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit completely at work in you when you come to Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. But did you know that it doesn't end there? Then begins your walk with the Lord. And we're commanded in Ephesians chapter 5, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So we're commanded to, we, we're, we are born of the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit at the moment we believe. But then as believers, we're commanded in a continuous, ongoing way to be filled with the Spirit and not drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, a word that means like excessiveness, 
In other words, we don't allow wine being representative, I think, of anything in this life, anything in this world that can so fill you up that you're actually filled with the lust of your flesh and there's no room, for lack of a better way of saying it, of being filled with the Spirit. Like when the Apostle John writes, don't love the world or the things of the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You know that, right? Amen. You guys with me today? This is important. This is our walk. We're commanded to be filled. How are you filled with the Spirit? Well, number one, you ask, you know, which one of you being wicked won't give good gifts to your children? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I think it's a reference to the fact that, you know, I need to be filled. Fill me, Lord. Fill me with your Spirit. But what else? You should look at your life. And if you're, you know, the Bible speaks in the book of Romans of not making any provision for the lust of your flesh. For the lust of your flesh. You don't, you don't walk around life pursuing lust, pursuing sin, pursuing wickedness, and then expect that you to be filled with the Spirit, right? Examine your life. You with me, brothers and sisters? Ex- look in your spiritual mirrors. Examine yourself. What are you walking in? What are you allowing to consume your heart, consume your mind, consume your time? How about like what I was praying about before and Brother Bob Halliday at the uh, men's fellowship yesterday, I just thought did a great job bringing this point up right at the end of his message for you guys that were there yesterday. When he turned to James and he talked about going through trials and what strengthens us to get us through that is receiving with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And then in the next verse, he goes on to say what? But be doers of the word and not hearers only, right? So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you need to have your eyes, your nose, your mind in God's word. That seems so basic, but it never... Listen, Christianity... Listen to this. Walking day by day with Christ is never, 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 ever something where you outgrow the, 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 the basic practices that are needed to fuel that. I've been studying the Bible for 30 years. If I don't read it for a day, I know it. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean, right? Like, like you, you lack it. You miss it. That closeness with Christ. I don't. I I can quote chapters and verses for you, and and and, and all kinds of things in the Bible. I'm not an expert or anything like that, but I've been studying it for a long time. But I need it. The more I've learned about God's word, the more that it reveals to me. I need it more and more and more. Right? If you're going to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to have a mind that's filled up with God's word, a meekness of spirit to receive it and let it work in you and transform how you think and what you believe. And have a submissive spirit that wishes to be a doer of that word. And of course you have to pray. We're actually commanded to pray in the spirit. In other words, pray being led and guided by the spirit. And when you pray, not just God give me this. God bless this. God bless. Listen, we can take any sort of request to the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. But our prayers should be consumed with just worshiping God and longing for more of Him. Lord, fill me more. Lord, show me more. Lord, help me to get the things out of my life that are any inhibition to my growth or anything like that. Pray. Lord, I love you. 
Our prayers should be flooded with thanksgiving to the Lord. Our prayers should be flooded with adoration of the Lord. Amen? Good. So those are some things. But we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. We're not only commanded to be filled, we're commanded to walk and to be led by the Spirit. We just studied this recently in Galatians. Here, these three things go together. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Did you catch that? Um, It doesn't say, walk in the Spirit and leave anything other than an imperative behind it. It's not walk in the Spirit and, you know, sometimes you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you'll have strength to be able to stand against the flesh. It's just a simple, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't walk in the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. To put it in the context of Galatians, which I can't resist doing for a moment because I've been studying it for so long now. But uh, the idea in Galatians is he's trying to show them that when, if, if in, you know what's happening in Galatians, right? The Judaizers have come in and they're trying to tell people who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that they also need to be circumcised and they also need to keep the law in order to be saved, which is not the gospel. The gospel is you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you can do. That's it. The only righteousness that God accepts is that people trust in his son. That's it. And God justifies, God justifies the person who trusts in his son, right? So, so in, in, when Paul writes to the Galatians, he's trying to debunk this notion that like they can justify themselves by keeping the law. And so what he tells them is, basically, there is no power, there is no ability in our flesh, in ourselves, to keep the righteous requirements of the law. If you walk in the Spirit who lives in you, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right? So that's why he goes on then to say, these things are contrary to one another. There's your life in the Spirit, but you've been redeemed, you've been regenerated, all things are new, you're a new creation in Christ. But while you're in this temporary world... Until we have the fullness of our redemption, which is when we are with the Lord, until we realize the fullness of salvation, we still inhabit these sinful flesh vessels. Right? And so there's this war that goes on inside of us. And if you're, if you're going to try to live a life that's just filled with laws and religious rules, you have no power, no strength in that at all. Because the purpose of that law was to show us our inability and our sinfulness. But if you walk in the Spirit, if you walk in the power of God, you will not and cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh because those two things, the flesh and the Spirit, are contrary to one another. They're contrary. So if you walk in the flesh, you will, you must fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
if you walk in the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, you must and you will produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is what he says later in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and guess what? No law against any of that. Right? So, all of that came for, to me just from studying that word compelled, suneco. Listen to me. Paul, before he had believed, was convicted by the Holy Spirit. Right? When he believed, he was born of the Spirit, he was indwelt by the Spirit, and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. As he walked day by day, he was filled with the Spirit. Walked with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And his life produced the fruit of the Spirit. And so, when it came to this moment in Corinth, he was pressed. He was compelled. The Holy Spirit had him fully. And compelled him to go into that synagogue and speak. And it kicks off a chain of events. All orchestrated by God. See, that, that's what we miss. When we, when, we, when, we, when, we, when we let ourselves get lazy. About life in the spirit. When we let ourselves slip from the conviction that friendship with the world is enmity with God. When we let ourselves slip from that, we miss aspects of life in the Spirit. He will control and lead everything. At one point when Jesus was on the earth, he said to his own disciples, they're going to drag you up in front of leaders and magistrates and everything else. He said, don't even worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit will give you the words in that hour. Man, wow, that's life in the Holy Spirit. And you know what? You have the Holy Spirit in you if you're in Christ. Are you filled? Are you filled? Do you seek to be filled? Do you walk? Are you led? Does your life produce spiritual fruit? Examine yourselves. This is not a question of are you saved or not. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. Hallelujah! But you're also called to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the devil's number one activity seems to be to bump Christians off of an intimate, close relationship walk with their God. We have been reconciled to God, and Satan can't break that or ruin that. But boy, oh boy, can he assault and meddle with 
the fruit of that reconciliation, which is our day-by-day walk with God. Open your eyes. Listen, that's why Peter said, be sober and vigilant. What does that mean? Sober means clear mind. Vigilant means eyes wide open. If we will walk with the Spirit like this, I believe that, you know, it's not about like, you know, the the miraculous things and all that. And I would love that. If the Lord wants to give me a power to lay hands on someone, heal them, or speak in some language I never learned, or, 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 you know, prophesy about them, whatever. But, but I don't think that's like the normal course of things. I think like what you see here with Paul is just he's filled with the Spirit and God just leads him. Look at this now. Now watch, watch how the rest... That's, that's the long part of the sermon was that word, suneko. Now the rest of it just unfolds. It's just a chain of events that God kicks off because the Spirit compelled Paul to go into that synagogue and preach. Watch what happens. Ready for this? Look at, look at all these little insights here now. So he testifies that Jesus is the Christ. They opposed him, which he experienced everywhere else that he went, just about. Maybe not in uh, Berea, but just about everybody else, everywhere else. He did get opposition in Berea, but not from the Bereans, right? The Thessalonican Jews followed him there. Um, so when they opposed him and blasphemed, he became very discouraged and despondent and said to himself, you know, I think I've made a mistake I'm going to go back to being a tent maker. Oh, wait. It doesn't say that, does it? This is the Holy Spirit at work. When they opposed him in blaspheme, he shook the garments. He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That when he went in and preached and he was opposed, he didn't give up. He didn't look out at that crowd and see them sneering at him or disagreeing with him. Or He didn't look out at that crowd and say, boy, most of these people are, oh, I'm not going to get many people out of this. I'm in, the, this is, I, I'm in the wrong business here. I should be doing something. I'm a failure. He didn't do that, did he? He's like, you know what? This is on you. I'm preaching the truth. Shook his garments symbolically, shaken off the dust of his garments, went somewhere else. That's the Spirit at work in him. The Holy Spirit gives encouragement. Hallelujah. That's why you need to be filled. So when these moments come, you experience that encouragement. It's a spiritual walk. I don't know how else to say it. The walk of a Christian is not a natural, carnal walk. It's a spiritual walk. It's a walk that's not wrapped up in... Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not a walk that's constrained by the natural circumstances of life. It's a walk that is directed and infused with power by God in you. Oh, that Christians would get this and walk in it. Help us, Lord. Look at this. He says, I am clean. He was not only protected from despondency, he was released from, ready, guilt. How many of you struggle with guilt? How many of you try to serve God and in your serving of God, things don't go well and you feel, you think things don't go well. You really can't see everything that God sees. That's a lesson for itself. But when you don't see things going the way you wished, 
you feel guilty. I must really be bad at this. Paul is like, I'm clean. Because you know why? Because he's led by the Spirit and he knows he is doing what God has compelled him to do. And that in and of itself is enough. So he's free from guilt. Then what? Next. And he departed from there. Oh, well, he said, first of all, he says, from now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Right? From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. He says to the Jews. Right? What was that? That's called vision. Talk a lot of times about vision. I think it's even controversial in Christianity because people talk about, well, we want to have vision. You know, have a vision for a church or a vision for this. Look, vision, Christian-wise, in my view, no pun intended, is what God puts in front of you and enables you to see. That's vision. And Paul's not getting a vision here. Paul is recognizing what God has placed right in front of him. Everywhere else he had gone, multitudes of Gentiles believed. I'm clean, I'm going to the Gentiles. See? Why? Because he was filled with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Guess what went along with that? Provision. That's the next thing. Provision. He departed from there. Didn't have to go very far, did he? Y'all with me? Verse 7. Y'all, y'all looking at the scripture, right? And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice. One who worshipped God. That phrase, one who worshipped God, that's another one of those descriptive terms to describe Gentiles who were believers in the God of the Jews, who were believers in Yahweh. Someone who, in this case, had received the gospel of Christ and believed it. So he says, from now on I go to the Gentiles, and then he goes into the house of justice, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So look at, look at the Holy Spirit at work in this. He's free from guilt. He's not despondent. He sees that God's leading him to go to the Gentiles, and God provides a place next door to the synagogue. God, when God leads us by His Spirit, He provides what is needed to fulfill what He's trying to do in us. Because it's all His work. We're just commanded to believe and be filled and follow Him and serve Him. Hallelujah. By the way, He's not done providing here yet, is He? There's much more blessing. Here comes the blessing now, right? Look at verse 8. Then Crispus... Now, now, just... You got this is like too this is like too good to be true, right? Because he just he just got done preaching in the synagogue and they're like shouting him down. So he like washes their hands of them, goes next door, and the ruler of the synagogue is saved and comes with him. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. The ruler of the synagogue and his whole family believed the gospel. And that's not, that would be great if that were the end of it, and it's not. And many of the Corinthians hearing, hearing what? 
That's, listen, listen. That word hearing does not refer to hearing the gospel. That word hearing refers to hearing the news that Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed. So this is the blessing of God. Whoa! Crispus believed. And God uses that to open their hearts to the truth of the gospel. And they believe. So look at, look at the layers of blessing that all start to pour out. And it was all rooted in something that one of us might look at as a failure. I went into the, I went into the synagogue and I was, he was constrained, compelled, led by the Spirit to go into the synagogue. And he preaches the gospel and nobody believes, or hardly anybody believes. Obviously, some of them did. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. He goes next door. The synagogue ruler follows him because he believes. And when people hear, wow, the ruler of the synagogue went with Paul, that persuades many of them to do the same. Vision, provision, and abundant blessing in the spirit. Man, these televangelists, they're always talking about like getting all kinds of money and all kinds of material blessing and blah, blah, blah. Send your money in and we'll do that. We'll do a bunch of garbage. Here's blessing. This is blessing. This is a move of the Spirit of God in his life. And people are getting saved. Hallelujah. That's what I want to be. I'd love to be part of that. That's awesome. As if there could be more. This is all a chain, a chain reaction to Paul being compelled by the Spirit to go into the synagogue. It's not even over yet. Look at verse 9. Look who decides to get in on the action. The Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision and said, Don't be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Guys, are you seeing in this passage what you should? Are you seeing how a Christian can walk with God? I'm not saying that it all plays out exactly the same way, and you're going to have visions where God's going to talk to you in the night. I'm also not denying anything either, because God is sovereign. But what you should see here is what? When you walk in the Spirit... When you're compelled by the Spirit, this stuff goes on. He leads you, He guides you, He works in you. It's a great life. It's the abundant life. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. This is the abundant life that He spoke of. Is the life that walks with Christ and walks in the Spirit and is filled with spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. Laying up treasures in heaven where the thief can't break in and steal and where moth and rust cannot corrupt. Hallelujah. This is the life. He gets a divine affirmation. And then watch how the Lord sustains him. Here's a statement that we have not read yet in the account of Paul's missionary work. Verse 11. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So God sustains them there for a year and a half. I mean, I mean, he was in Thessalonica for three weeks. There are other places he was there for two weeks. He was there for a week. It just goes on. He stays for a year and a half in Corinth because God promised to be with him and then sustained him in it. And then you get this account, which is the last little bit. It was a great story. Watch this. I, I, do, I do have to say, I feel bad for Sosthenes and what happens to him here. But even that has a great epilogue to it. Listen, 
When Gallio, it's a Roman, was proconsul of Achaia, Achaia is the island region that Corinth is part of, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to law. Sounds a little bit like what happened to Jesus before he was crucified in Jerusalem, right? And when Paul was, look at this, Paul's about to open his mouth and speak. And then a miracle. Gallio, the Gentile, bursts in and says, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it's a question of your words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves. I don't want to be a judge of such matters. Sends them away. And then all the Greeks take Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, beat him before the judgment seat. No glorying in that. I don't like to see anybody get beaten up like that. But, but Gal- and Gallio turns the other way, takes no notice of it. And what's, what's the end of it? Verse 18. So Paul remained there a good while. So, so here, to just, to just follow through the chain of events, from the beginning of the moment where he was first compelled by the Spirit to preach in the synagogue, right? Uh, number one, he was not allowed to fall into despondency or feel like a failure. Number two, he was completely released from guilt. Number three, God gave him vision to see that ministry to the Gentiles. Number four, God provided for him a place right next door to go and set up shop. Number five, God blessed him by the ruler of the synagogue getting saved, a bunch of other people being persuaded by that and getting saved and and then showing up himself in a divine affirmation. That's number six, I'm with you, don't be silent, keep speaking. And then number seven, he sustains him for a year and a half in the whole place. All started with what? Listen, 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 listen. All started with one Christian who was filled with the Spirit, who walked in the Spirit and was compelled by the Spirit to act on behalf of God. It kicked off this tremendous... Listen, this is the life. It doesn't have to be as grandiose as this. The walk in the Spirit, the life in the Spirit, the service of the Lord might not be something that any other human notices. It might not be anything that anyone will ever write a book about. But the walk in the Spirit is the abundant life. Let's walk it. Let's live it. Go home and and listen to some of these things that I said again and make note of them and Put some stuff into practice in your life. Be a doer of His Word. Receive His Word with meekness. Be a doer of that Word. By the way, Sosthenes, who got beat up. If you have a study Bible with any kind of cross-references, you know what I'm going to read, right? So later on, Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians called 1 Corinthians. And the very opening of the book, it says this. Listen, just listen. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. So even poor Sosthenes, who gets beat up over the matter, ends up getting saved and is written of as a companion of the Apostle Paul when he writes his letter of 1 Corinthians. So walk in the Spirit, brothers and sisters, and God reveals it to us in His Word. Hallelujah.
we're going to, just for time's sake, uh, we're going to end the service right here, okay? So can you all stand up together with me? We won't sing the last hymn. Let's just end right here. I always run short of time on Lord's Supper Sundays, but I thank you for bearing with it. And uh, I mean, God really spoke to us through his word today, I felt. And I hope he gave you some encouragement. And look, I know the things that I said went by fast. It's great. It's on Facebook. It's on YouTube. Listen to it again. Get this stuff. This is the life. Get this. Get this. Get this. And do it. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, so much for this time that we've had together today. Thank you for our time at your table. Thank you, Lord God, that we could read the word and read about how our Lord suffered to bring us salvation and how we had the the privilege to worship by eating and drinking and remembering your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. The only sacrifice that could ever save anyone, the only sacrifice that is necessary to save the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his burial and his resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great victory. And I pray for anyone who's listening to this here or online, that they would come to faith in you, that they would receive you, Lord Jesus, simply by believing the good news, humbling themselves, recognizing their own sinfulness, abandoning their religious quests or their self-righteousness or any fallacious belief that they're just okay with you, and that they would recognize that all sinners stand condemned and that they would come to Jesus in faith and receive mercy and cleansing and reconciliation and the promise of everlasting life and the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Our Father, thank you for this message today. I pray that everything we've heard from your word, that we would remember it, receive it, believe it, and that you would strengthen us to be doers of it. Fill your children with your spirit, I pray, Lord God. And help us to daily read and meditate on your word. To pray and to pray and to pray without ceasing. To examine our own lives. To walk in the spirit and produce the fruit of the spirit. To be led by you. To be compelled by you. Thank you for your grace. It's all grace. It's all just a gift from you. None of it's earned by us. You're just good. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.